Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, the Log4j flaw is a huge problem, but nowhere near as bad as the fix to patch it. We'll talk more about that in detail. NVIDIA releases three brand new laptop GPUs with names that make no sense. Final Fantasy XIV is so good, it is sold out again. We'll talk in detail with that. And TikTok planning to take on Twitch? Hmm, a live streaming service that's suspiciously close to OBS. All that and more coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North. So I'm going to read this. Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. So, for a little bit of context, I'm recording this the day after I finished Final Fantasy XIV and Walker. And I feel that's important to say. I think it's important to mention that just because I'm a little out of it because it was a 14-hour stream to finish it all. And on top of that, I there's a lot on my mind in digesting that entire story. And a lot of people find it hard to believe that such an MMO can actually have a fascinating story. Which is why I love the game so much. And a lot of people are put off to that sort of thing. Oh, you're paying $15 a month to go ahead and just pl play a game, but you're getting a single player experience. I mean, you are, but there's also a massive multiplayer experience in it too. Our final battle. I'm not even kidding. Like four of us were struggling to keep everyone up every time someone would go down because we didn't know the mechanics of the fight. We'd all step in and try to drag each other back up. It was a struggle, and I loved every minute of it. I've never had such an amazing experience in a game in a long, long time. And to me, that is well worth the subscription fee so that Square Enix can power those data centers, so that Square Enix can pay all of the writers, the game developers that continue to put out more and more content for this amazing story-driven game to go ahead and pay these amazing voice actors for putting their hearts out in their performance. All of these cinematographers that go ahead with digital models in engine to create amazing cutscenes. I feel that is well worth the initial $50 for the game and the $14 or $15 a month to play that. And I think that is very important to say as we go into our first story, where Toyota owners have to pay $8 a month to use remote start for their car. I'm sorry, what? Remote start, you know, the thing that lets, that lets you start up your car that we've had since, what, 2003, 2004? that has never needed to go to a server at all. And no, before anyone says, well, it's an app on the phone, obviously. So of course you'd go, you'd go ahead and you can start it from anywhere. So there's a server to maintain. No, this is to use your remote start from your key.
That is offensive. And that is an insult to every single Toyota owner out there. And this kind of nonsense, and I blame Elon Musk for starting this nonsense, for going ahead and saying, we're going to build your car with everything in it, but we're going to turn stuff off unless you pay us extra. And to go ahead and do it with a key fob, you know, the thing that has been around and no one has ever needed to go ahead and pay a monthly fee to use since its inception. Absolutely disgusting. It's bad enough that, you know, the cost of cars keeps going up and up and up and up. And now it's to the point of being absurd. To the point where those of us who actually need commercial vehicles can't because it's unaffordable. Freaking $40,000 trucks now selling for double that after 100,000 miles on it because the shortage is so bad. But now you want to go ahead and nickel and dime us on a subscription model for features that are not maintained and you cannot under with a at all. You cannot justify why there needs to be an upkeep to use something. Because the only upkeep there is to having remote start is the gas you put in your own car, which Toyota is not providing, and the batteries you replace in your own key fob once every three years. Which, by the way, either you end up paying for and doing it yourself, or you end up paying the dealership itself to go ahead and do it. Which, again, not covered by the $8 a month. I'm not going to lie. Toyota's might be a really good car. And I know a lot of people are thrilled with their Toyotas. But if they continue this policy, both as a business owner that is in the hunt for a replacement vehicle and as a consumer that's looking for a personal vehicle because his is currently, you know, indisposed I would not consider a Toyota if this is going to be how they treat their customers I don't want to be in that ecosystem whether in the used or the new market and I really do hope that no other manufacturer follows in Toyota's footsteps unfortunately much like how Apple opened Pandora's box by deleting the headphone jack and saying that random chunks of the screen missing is okay. Well, that opened the Pandora's box for every Android phone to do the same. I fear that Tesla has done the same and only now finally are we starting to see that on a major scale. And I really really hope this does stop all right now that we got that out of the way let's talk about how apple is releasing tracker detect which is going to protect android users from people using air tags to stalk them 
So one of the concerns when the AirTag was first announced, for those who don't know what an AirTag is, an AirTag is a basically a keychain fob that you can attach to either your keys, you can put in your wallet, your backpack, whatever. And you can use your iPhone to track down its location and you can actually track it down with shocking accuracy. GPS will get you within the general area of it. And then the phone after that can use another form of radio communication to this to tech pretty much to pinpoint down exactly where the device is. So if you attach it to your keys, your keys are sucked in, into your, into your couch for whatever reason. You can just hold out your iPhone and it'll tell you how many feet and in what direction that tag is in. So you can figure out it's about right here in the couch and then can start fishing for it. Well, the concern then is what if I put that on? Not that I would mind you, but let's say I wanted to put it, put it on, uh, someone I wanted to stalk. Well, an Apple device, if it detects that an AirTag is near you and it's not yours, it will let you know, hey, there is an AirTag within range of you and here's the information of who it belongs to. That feature is twofold because one, it lets those with an iPhone say that, oh, hey, someone left their bag in my car while as I was driving them. Here's their name and phone number. I can let them know I found it. The other thing is that, say, if that same creepy scenario I just described of stalking someone comes up, you with the iPhone could tell exactly who's trying to stalk you, their name and their number. You kind of see where this is going here? The thing is that, you know, if you don't have an iPhone, how do you counter this kind of attack? Well, Apple has now released that same sort of tracking application that lets you know if another AirTag is within range of you for Android phones. So now you too can install this app, and if it detects an AirTag near you and it's not yours, it will let you know, hey, you found a thing. Here's who it belongs to. You might want to let them know. So that is a big, big step to countering AirTag stalkers. I wonder if there actually is a case of some serious air tag stalking going on there probably is right like someone's had to try it there's just way too many weirdos out there that would try something like that ah uh, well so let's talk about log 4j Log4j is a vulnerability. 
Well, actually, well, let's let's get through this. First off, there's a vulnerability in a widely piece of use of open source software called Log4j. Now, I don't know the exact details of this software, but to my understanding, and I'll admit, I didn't pay close enough attention to this because when you talk about a piece of software like Log4j, it affects server users. The majority of my audience are not server admins. Let's be perfectly honest. And this was big enough that it's just like, look, other people know more about this than I do. But what's fascinating about this is that this log4j vulnerability has led to over 840 attacks, cyber attacks, on on companies on a global scale. One of the major perpetrators apparently is the Chinese government. Yep, because that's what I needed in my life. I needed the Chinese government to go ahead and hack even more servers. Well, I mean, fortunately, the the vulnerability is known, right? It's going to be patched, right? Everything will be fine. And in the end, you know... You, as a general user, there's nothing you can do about it. So, I mean, what's the point of worrying about it? The server admins will figure it out, and everything will be fine. In fact, actually, there was, in fact, a patch that uh, out there for Log4j. So, everything's fine, right? Everything's going to be fine, Right? It turns out the log4j patch that fixed the vulnerability has another exploit. And what's even better is that this vulnerability is even worse in the patch than the original vulnerability. Because not only can it be used for all kinds of other new style of attacks, but with a little bit of a workaround, the old style of attacks are still possible. Imagine this for a second. You have the flu, all right? You're coughing, you're sneezing, you have a fever, you feel sore. You take some cough medicine. And not only are none of your flu symptoms cured, you're still sore, you're still coughing, you're still sneezing. But now you have nausea and diarrhea on top of that. That's this patch! It literally did nothing to help and made everything worse.
So yeah, a new breed of ransomware is now being pushed out because of this vulnerability. And this open source software, I wonder what its usage is going to be after a real patch is launched. Because it just looks like this is getting worse and worse and worse. But again, as you, the user, what can you do? Not a whole lot. So all we do is just wait, monitor the situation, and see. Instead, let's talk about things we can do something about. Let's talk about TikTok. TikTok is testing PC game streaming. So apparently they feel like just going straight after Twitch. Using their own custom software that you, sh you can totally trust, by the way. Trust software from TikTok. Nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad ever happens with TikTok software. Nope, no siree. All you got to do is just trust 100% in TikTok and everything will be A-OK. -okay. Why are you looking at me like that? Are you saying there's something wrong with trusting TikTok? Yeah, of course there is. Hopefully I don't need to remind you, but let's, just in case I need to remind you, TikTok in the past and its software on the phone has tried to go ahead and skim a disgusting amount of data, including stuff that is normally never, ever needed. Like, say, your phone's MAC address. TikTok has actually been pulled a couple of times from the major platforms because it was violating the terms and service. And it constantly looks for new ways to try and skim data it shouldn't. So now let's say you go ahead and download a streaming app from TikTok to go ahead and stream game content on TikTok on a platform like your desktop where no one is, is truthfully regulating how the software operates other than your virus scanner. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, and uh, by the way, by, by the way, there has been a lot of talk about uh, the fact that the TikTok streaming app that's being tested right now does share quite a bit of code with open broadcast software or OBS. What TikTok is doing and what Streamlabs did is not the same. Streamlabs took the entire source code forked it which you can do with open source software but then stole the name despite the obs platform saying don't do that tiktok just used a chunk 
of the source code, which again, you can do. That is one of the problems with open source software. And then forked it off into their own software. There's nothing illegal or morally questionable about what TikTok did. They just went ahead and used one of the downsides of having your software be open source. Yeah. We'll have to see how this goes. What is curious to me, though, is that um, the live streaming experience that TikTok is offering, according to the screenshots of the software they've shown off, seems to do away with the standard format of TikTok. TikTok, the way they do their videos, is that it's all portrait. All of the videos are in the same format you hold your phone in. So you just hold your phone comfortably that you're not holding it the the wide way like you would for a YouTube video or anything or Netflix or anything like that. That's one of the reasons why TikTok shot off so well. But going to landscape, like what the streaming app seems to do, it's an interesting move for TikTok. And I wonder if that's going to kind of muddy the waters for what they do. That being said, as someone who is not too thrilled with the way Twitch performs right now, um, I don't see myself becoming a TikTok streamer if they actually are earnestly trying to go after Twitch and YouTube. But in the end, all I can do is just keep my eyes open and we'll see how this goes for them. At the same time, TikTok is trying a whole bunch of other uh, odd decisions such as TikTok Kitchen which will be using what is referred to as ghost kitchens to go ahead and recreate food that is shown on how to cook on TikTok there actually is a big following of TikTokers who go ahead and make quick recipes for various kinds of food, um, some of which looks really good, others of it look really simple, and uh, a bunch of others look uh, nightmare. But this is going to be something that uh, is going to launch in uh, March. Here's my question. How did Instagram not do this first? That's what Instagram was for the longest time. Just people taking pictures of their food and talking about how they made it. It was just people bragging about, oh man, look how good this is. 
How did TikTok outfood Instagram? But again, I have to go ahead and look at that and say, you know, I have concern because it is, of course, TikTok. Who knows, though? Maybe I'll be proven wrong. In other TikTok news, TikTok has a Discord now for... uh, I guess because everyone has a Discord. I mean, look, if I have a Discord, everyone has a Discord. I have a Discord. You probably have a Discord. My water bottle has a Discord. This watch that's on its charger right now telling me that I should that I should actually get a decent night's sleep has probably has its own Discord. My toilet has its own Discord. Discord. Frick, everything has its own Discord. So sure, why not? Let's go ahead. Let's just freaking TikTok have their own Discord. Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. But apparently Discord already has... Oh, wait, no, that's Wendy's that is 60,000. Why does Wendy's have its, have its own Discord? But apparently the Discord is actually being used by currently what's being referred to as e-girls to go ahead and share tips with each other as well as much many 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 other kinds of just random nonsense because of course when you have a have a discord server for something just as for a social media platform why the heck not chad also pointed out that uh wendy's has its own twitch page and that's also fair wendy's actually has done an amazing job on just like rebranding themselves Oh, well, what can you do other than just shake your head and wonder why? Finally, to to round out our little uh, TikTok section. Schools across the United States have canceled classes over unconfirmed TikTok threats. So someone went out there made threats against a school and the school just completely shut down in an instant. I get the concern, but here's the kicker. I don't think the article I have here mentions the suspect at all but um the people who made these threats are not even in the same state as the schools at least that was one report i saw but if we're going to make it this easy to shut down a school like this you're going to have a problem. 
And the easy answer would be, hey, look, this is just going to accelerate the whole push of only virtual learning, which unfortunately right now is being done very, very poorly. Man, you thought that uh, you thought the education system was in a bad place during COVID. This is going to be this easy to shut down school time and time and time again. You're going to have a much, much bigger problem. Hopefully, though, we can work around that. I'm, I really am hoping it doesn't become become a trend. Someone just someone in the chat just handed me an article in regards to school administrators saying they want to talk. TikTok school threats prompt calls for parents to talk to their kids. So action is already being taken against this. Oh, this actually wasn't even in the articles. That that I had apparently the trend for these threats was caused by a trending trend on TikTok called National Shoot Up Your School Day. This is some amazing. uh, 4chan level nonsense here just it's an audio podcast I need to do something other than facepalm and shake my head but all I can do is just facepalm and shake my head this is just stupid (laughs) that's that's the best I got we're going to take our break. We're going to take our first break here when we come back. Someone in chat says this is Reddit level nonsense. You know, I, I can't. Would this be 4chan? Would this be B level nonsense or would this be Reddit level nonsense? Maybe it's just my old, old history with B. But this feels like B. But I digress. Delinquents shouldn't be getting props for this level of nonsense anyway. We're going to take our first break here when we come back. We have quite a bit more to discuss, including HDMI just making absolutely no sense. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Yeah, I know. It is that time of the year. Gotta break out the rare folder of bumpers. So, HDMI has decided, you know what? 
Logic doesn't mean anything. You want numbers to mean numbers? You want HDMI 2.1 to mean HDMI 2.1? Oh, you foolish fool. Nah, you want HDMI 2.1 to actually mean 2.0? Why? What is with computer standards and just deciding, you know what? Logic is irrelevant. Who cares? So basically, the new alteration of HDMI 2.1 now means it will not support certain HDMI 2.1 features, despite the fact that there is no distinction on whether 2.1 actually supports features like variable refresh rate or not. Imagine for a second you went ahead and plugged a device into your USB 3.0 port, but it only transferred device it only transferred data at the speed of 2.0. You'd be ticked. Or better yet, plug in a device into a USB port and not be able to trans- transfer data at all but it's listed as a data transferring usb port the fact that this is a thing is beyond infuriating it really really is and there's no other way to to say this i am greatly disappointed by the fact that now they're basically you now can no longer trust whether a TV has HDMI 2.1 or not. It could in fact just basically be a slightly better than 2.0 port, but doesn't support the things you need it to. It's bad enough when you go ahead and order a TV off Amazon and it turns out that that the manufacturer that is a Gummy scum bucket who goes ahead and lies on their product page anyway. And you could have been able to tell if you just looked at the picture and realized they didn't spell half their words correctly. But now the HDMI standard itself is okay with basically false advertisement. I am extremely disappointed. There's just no other way to say it. And the worst part is that this fake HDMI 2.1, it doesn't seem to bother the licensing administrators either over at, over at the, uh, over at the HDMI licensing administrators. So why have the name at all? It'd be like me going get getting out a freaking nothing pickup truck and calling it a semi truck. Oh yeah, I can haul stuff. Let me go get my F one fifty. See, look how much hauling you can do. 
Even though you needed something that can haul 80 tons or 40 tons. I'm sorry. Which your F-150 won't be able to do. It's... Uh, I keep coming up with more and more analogies for this sort of thing, but... I hope I got the point across. This is so freaking dumb. And I really do hope that more... Ma- you, you basically got to go ahead and say, hey, if you want to go ahead and have a TV that can support 4K 120 hertz, which is what HDI 2.1 is supposed to be capable of, as well as dynamic HDR and variable refresh rate, Well, now you got to go ahead and do a lot of research about that TV you wanted, because who knows if it's going to be a good TV or a liar. Let's talk about something more infuriating. Creepy Uncle Google. Been a while since I've used that phrase, hasn't it? Creepy Uncle Google is being Creepy Uncle Google again. Google Drive will now prevent you from sharing files that violate its terms of service. Now, in fairness, it's their platform. They have a right to enforce their rules on their platform. But hear me out for a second, okay? Before anyone starts talking about, oh, frickin' frickin' Eagle is pro sending around this, that, and the other thing. How would Google Drive know what files I send up would be violating terms of service? a real question how would they know we know the answer they'd have to look at it this means that every single file that you would upload to google drive will be looked at and inspected To which then I ask you, are you okay with that? Personally, I wouldn't be. And before anyone goes, oh, Eagle's in favor of transferring all this, that, and the other thing. If you got nothing to hide, you don't mind creepy Uncle Google going ahead and looking through your files. Okay. Can you hand me your phone and unlock it for me, please? I want to go scan through your phone. No, if you got nothing to hide, you won't mind me doing that, right? This is a reminder. that no matter how much a company wants to make you think 
wants to make you think that you have privacy with them. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. We respect your privacy. No, they don't. Don't even kid yourself. Not for an instant. Do they truly, truly, actually care so much for your privacy? It's easy to say they do, of course. Talk is cheap, after all. Someone in chat asked, weren't they doing that already? Most likely. But again, it is a reminder. If a product is free, you are the product. It is a phrase that comes up time and time and time and time again. And this update to Google Drive saying, hey, we're going to automatically not allow files we deem violate the terms of service. It's a friendly reminder to those who want to go ahead and use services like this that the best way to go is not with a centralized cloud solution. Always keep this sort of thing in mind. All right, let's talk about something much more uplifting. I want to talk for a minute about Final Fantasy XIV. I talked briefly about it at the very start, and before anyone goes, don't worry. Don't worry. I am not going to spoil anything in the story. We're going to talk about the status of the servers. There is a tech connection here. This is not just going to be me gushing about a game I like, okay? On the 15th, game director Naoki Yoshida released a new update in the state of congestion. Now, ever since Final Fantasy XIV's latest expansion pack, Endwalker, launched, there has been, basically every server's been full. 100% of the servers have been at basically 100% capacity 100% of the time. In fact, even before Endwalker, they were almost completely at maximum capacity. Now, they're at maximum capacity, and the buffer servers, the login servers that have you sit in line waiting for your chance to get into the game... in some areas are also reaching maximum capacity. You have queue times of several hours because there have been north of 9, 10, 11, 12,000 people trying to get in at the same time. Some places even got up to 17,000 
people trying to get in. And that was the former cap for what the login server could handle at one time for a server. Now it's been increased because they went ahead and used their developer servers to bolster their login servers. Now it's up to 21,000. No one has been able to produce an accurate screenshot that wasn't altered in some way or shape or form to show them getting close to that. But when you have that long of a late, you have a problem. So, of course, the answer is to just add more servers. Here's the thing. First off, you need to get more servers. And as Final Fantasy XIV said in their letter, they want to add more logical data centers and world servers, but each one of these logical data centers and worlds require hundreds of servers. Now, I don't know what kind of servers specifically Final Fantasy XIV uses. I suspect they are using x86-based blade servers. They're small, they're compact. Blade servers are going to be very power efficient, which is going to be essential if you're trying to minimize your costs. Because that's going to be the biggest cost in an MMO. It's not the developers it is not the artists it is not the voice actors it is not the higher-ups it is the upkeep of the servers themselves not only the cost of power that the servers consume but the cost of having spare servers on standby in case there is a server that fails the cost of maintain it all of paying the staff on in each actual data center to maintain the servers to cool the building they're all in the rent or the lease payments for these massive centers that you have thousands of servers sitting in That's going to be where the majority of your subscription fee goes to. Now, when it comes to Blade servers, the other problem is the fact that the only time Blade servers are gotten is when you never like you never go out and buy like one blade chassis and seven servers that go into it. You're making a big purchase all at once. So most manufacturers like say Dell or HP or IBM or Fujitsu they don't just have blade servers sitting on a shelf. They're usually made 
to order and delivery is set for several months down the road. This is then made even worse by the fact there is a massive silicon shortage. And it's still going on to this day. We're still feeling the effects of it. So what does this mean? Well, here's the update that Final Fantasy XIV gave. They first off are sincerely sorry that, of course, these congestion issues are still going on. They have been very, very open about this. They are not hiding the fact at all that they want to solve this problem, but they can't. They're being very forward about it. Originally, they gave us seven days of free game time, assuming that you have an active subscription. Now they have added 14 days to that. You are now talking three weeks of game time. Now, you look at that and say, well, that's not even the $15 a month I pay them. That's not that big a deal. But it's still something, and most people have been satisfied with that. But let's do some math real quick. According to Google, the current active... But the active number of accounts on Final Fantasy XIV, according to Google, and this was updated back in October, the ga- according to Google, back, back in October, the game was con- confirmed to be the most profitable in the series and had surpassed 24 million active players. That is apparently what Eurogamer is saying. Now, I don't know how many of them are active free trial users and how many of them are active paying customers. According to MMO Population... There are 36 million subscribers as of this time. So let's take the Google number for a second. Let's say 24 million. We're going to take 24 million with this giant on-screen calculator that is comically huge. And we'll multiply that by fourteen ninety nine, which is a monthly subscription. But we're gonna we're gonna multi, we're gonna multiply that by point six six. We'll say that's roughly our estimate for three weeks. 
because of course there's slightly more than four weeks in a month. So we'll just, we'll just round down. We'll say two thirds. That is a rough estimate of 237 million dollars that has been handed out in free game time. There is now a $237 million hole in Final Fantasy XIV's budget. That's insane. That's what they've got to try and deal with. Now, other people have said it's much lower. I've seen some people throw around 2 million to 25 million. I am going based on the numbers that I just pulled up now. Now, whether it's 20 million or 10 times that, it's still not a small amount of money. Someone in chat says that my numbers are based on if everyone subscribed. I am going off the numbers that according to the report is saying that there are 24 million active subscriptions. That is the number that is supposedly claimed by Eurogamer. That was in the report that Square Enix has said is currently out there. That that's that's the that's the numbers I've got. So I'm not sure where they got those numbers. I have to assume it was from a direct letter, the letter from the director. But that's based on on the numbers I have just pulled right now. Regardless of whether it's 20 million or 200 million, again. Not a small amount of money. In addition, and this is far bigger than a lot of people realize, Final Fantasy XIV has shut down the creation of new trial accounts so you cannot sign up any longer for a free trial account at all. And Final Fantasy 14 is a very generous free trial. But in addition, you cannot buy the full version of the game. Essentially, Final Fantasy 14 has shut off all growth. No new player can join the game. Now, this was clearly a decision made by
by business unit three by the actual developers of the game the thing here is that it's not just the developers you have to convince to do that you have to convince the square enix accountants to be on board with currently the most profitable game that Square Enix has saying no to growth for the time being. And a lot of bean counters, what they're going to do, they're going to follow the policy of if you're not growing, you're shrinking and you're losing. And that is going to be the case. There are plenty of people in Final Fantasy XIV who only play for the story. I clocked in roughly 60 hours worth of gameplay just doing the Endwalker story, doing basically virtually no extra content in the expansion. So Final Fantasy XIV is going to shrink because it can't grow. And the fact they'd rather do that than make the congestion worse says volumes. There have been a number of other suspensions they have suspended their all active advertising campaigns that are not bound to a contract. So there are no more advertisements for Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. Let's be perfectly honest here for a second. I am willing to bet the actual number of the actual number of uh, what what's the phrase I'm looking for? I'm only about the number of people who weren't going to play Final Fantasy 14 and saw an ad for Final Fantasy 14 and then decide they were going to join in. I'd say that percentage is somewhere at like 5%. No offense to the marketing team of Final Fantasy fourteen, but far, far more people who end up joining Final Fantasy fourteen is because of word of mouth. It's a massive, significant difference. Someone in the chat is, is trying to talk about how the numbers are clear and accurate. I'm just saying here, 24 million active subscriptions going right now. That is what it says. It does not say 24 million active players. It does not say 24 million, including trials. It does not say 24 mil million accounts created. 24 million active accounts. That implies the subscription is active. That implies that there are that many people that are signing in, not all at the same time. That is what it's saying. Are they correct? I don't know. 
Okay, that article right there, I can already tell you, doesn't matter. The article that was just given doesn't matter because it, uh, it is only counting Steam. I like that this is being challenged and we're using incorrect numbers to start with. Now, I, again, I am saying that is what this outlet is saying. But if you're going to go ahead and try to dispute an article by only giving me Steam numbers, that's not helping the case. At all. Because again, when it comes to trying to go ahead and count the total for an MMO, you have to include the people that are not on. You have to include people that are not on, but do have an active sub. You have to include people that are on a console. You have to include the people that are on Mac. You have to include the people that are on Steam. You have to include the people that are on an actual PC client that is not tied to any sort of launcher whatsoever, like what I use. You have to account for all of that. So we're going to take a break here because we're getting, we're actually already over time on that. When we come back, we're going to be diving into this a bit further. And we're going to dive into, into that number again, where we're not chewing up the clock. And also we have some news about NFTs, everyone's favorite feature in video gaming. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So we can't come to a consensus on what the active subscribers are in Final Fantasy XIV. Everyone thinks that uh, the number that I provided that apparently came from Square is incorrect and that a game of telephone is misleading between total players and subscribers, which is possible. I fully admit that is possible. But in the end, no one can come to a general consensus. And I got a feeling we're not going to get numbers out of square anytime soon because they are way too busy trying to solve their congestion problem. I, what, I, what we did get distracted from mentioning in that is that first off, not only are not our new accounts not allowed to be created, but current trials are not allowed to sign in during peak hours. Before, free trials could not sign in unless the queue was under a certain amount. Now it is also restricted by time as well. So there's that element as well. Square also did say they are getting close to having a roadmap for when new servers are going to come up. 
and that they should have more information by January 2022. Which, scary enough, is not too far away. And like I said earlier, I am not surprised at all it's taken them that long because, again, they're not going to go ahead and use standard tower servers. They're not going to go ahead and just go to Best Buy and order a bunch of freaking optiplexes as their servers. They are most likely going to use Blade servers, assuming that the servers even run on x86. It is still very possible that they use some other type of CPU architecture. I don't know. So, of course, when you're talking Blade servers, you got to pre-order that sort of stuff. It's got to be manufactured spec, and you're ordering a bunch at a time. It's not something you can just go out to a grocery store and pick up. So, that is the current situation with Square Enix. Oh, in addition, there is um, a bug that was found that could lead to clients disconnecting during the queue called Error 2002. One of the problems that could lead to that error was found to be a login relation issue that was put into place way back in version 1.0, back when the game was an actual nightmare. Well, it looks like that could be resolved soon. Now, that being said, error 2002 just means that there was a connection problem. If you're on Wi-Fi, if for whatever reason you get disconnected, you will most likely still get an error 2002. So before we start going, oh, all our problems are solved, hold off here for a second. You, you could most likely still see the error. Just one of the issues that was out of your control that could lead to that error is being patched. And that's going to be apl- applied... I believe they say they're going to apply it on the 21st. So in a couple of days. Or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. Or it already happened. All right. Let's get off Final Fantasy XIV suffering from success. Let's instead talk about NFTs. Let's increase my blood pressure for a totally different reason. Stalker 2 has removed their NFT feature. Ali frickin' Yuluya. So for those who are unaware, a lot of games are trying to add what are what are what are called NFTs. NFTs is basically a serial number saying that a digital item belongs to you. Even though all an NFT is, I want to remind you. All an NFT is, is a serial number and a link to the digital good. If the host server of the digital good goes down, your link is dead and you have a serial number that says you own a dead whatever the heck it is. It is one of the biggest problems with NFTs, but all the diehards of NFTs just want to embrace their clown car, I suppose. 
this sort of technology is making it into games for things like DLC being uniquely yours. So if you went ahead and got a cosmetic skin, they could attach an NFT to it and say, hey, it's yours. You can sell it if you want, but yours is one of a kind, unique to you. The other thing with NFTs, the way it works is that every single transaction with an NFT is stored on a blockchain. And a blockchain tracks all records of transaction with that item in a non-centralized way done by every single crypto miner that supports that blockchain. So if it's on the Ethereum blockchain, every single cryptocurrency miner that goes ahead and mines for Ethereum, they're basically helping to track all transactions of Ethereum and also these NFTs on that blockchain. So just by these items existing, it puts a load on the blockchain. And whenever you make a transaction of it, it puts a slightly bigger load on the blockchain. So just by the existence of NFTs means that you are having every single person who has warehouse upon warehouses of GPUs mining for crypto, you're making them, you're giving them a load to work on. Meaning that you have power being consumed to do nothing other than confirm you own a specific sweatshirt. Yeah, aren't NFTs great? But then also keep in mind if the central server that it all connects to, despite the fact it's a decentralized system, your NFT is then worthless. That is, of course, the biggest flaw in NFT logic. That because it is on the blockchain, it's decentralized. You know, except for the part where it still has to connect to a central server for the item that you own. Well, Stalker is getting rid of theirs. Good. The more games that abandon this type of insanity, the better. Now, let's talk about Legacy. Legacy is a game built from the ground up by who is turning out to, I've never heard of this guy, but, uh, but after looking the guy up, he is, uh, he is a class act. Peter Molnex, who I've most likely mispronounced, and quite frankly, with the legacy this guy has, I don't care. His new game, Legacy, sells NFTs called Land for really, really dumb amounts of money. And the thing is that because he is going in and praying on the absolute smooth brainness of these crypto bros, they're just shelling out stupid amounts of money in cryptocurrency for these NFTs, which are just nothing. The whole concept of legacy, according to Peter here, is that you go ahead and you buy these NFTs 
which then create other virtual goods and then exchange them. It's basically just like one giant economy inside this game of freaking nothing. Of nothing! It's... It would be like, you remember the real money auction house of uh, Diablo 3? How you could go ahead and sell your in-game items for real money? Or buy in-game items for real money? Remember that thing? Remember how much of a travesty that was? Imagine that, except there is no other game. At least with Diablo 3, if you go ahead and buy a cool coat or or a cool sword or whatever, at least there's a game to use that cool coat or a sword in. With this legacy, as far as I can tell, it goes to nothing other than the creation of more nothing. The only thing it leads to is basically fattening up the wallet of Peter here and other developers at and in the end result accomplishing nothing because basically the whole game is just powered by the blockchain, which then means that the game developer themselves pay nothing in upkeep because all of the tracking of all these goods is done by the blockchain. And this actually gets to the real reason why so many game developers are looking at blockchain technology. Remember how I said that one of the biggest costs to Final Fantasy XIV is the fact they have to go and power all these servers to power the game? Well, with NFTs, you're basically getting free labor because all the transactions are tracked by the blockchain and are tracked very inefficiently, I might add. Simply because you have multiple nodes within the blockchain all doing the exact same calculation to verify that everyone else was correct. The blockchain, by its very nature of being decentralized and doing check self-check after self-check after self-check to make sure that everything is correct, is also hilariously inefficient. But the developer doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. Because their upkeep is zero. The only person who wins when it comes to NFTs and games is the developer. You, as the person who bought the NFT, lose. Because in the end, once the game is gone, you hold nothing because the link to the one centralized server, the one point of investment that the game had is gone.
the actual people powering the blockchain lose because they're consuming tons upon tons upon tons of electricity just to be exploited by the game developers themselves. And the game developer saved a metric ton on server investment because all they needed was the one centralized server that the NFT links to. That's it. So tell me again, cryptocurrency fans, why are NFTs good again? I don't actually own the thing. Your whole argument of it being decentralized is null and void because in the end, the NFT is just a link to a centralized server. But again, the environmental impact also is way greater because of course, the environmental impact of me having a JPEG or the data file of the digital good I bought the only upkeep was the power consumption of my computer. Now it's the power consumption of dozens of computers. Actually, way more than that, but, you know, once you calculate out that the fact that every computer is not dedicating its entire load to your JPEG, it's probably safe to say about dozens. In the end, the only winner are the exploiters. Are the Peter Molnexes of the road of the world. And the bored apes of the world of the world. Yes, every single one of you morons that went ahead and bought a bored ape and NFT, you have been exploited. And no amount of telling yourself that everything's okay, that everything is fine is going to convince anyone otherwise. And I hate to say and I hate that I have to go ahead and talk about NFTs every single freaking week. But every single week another company dives into NFTs and the reason being is because they can make massive profit at the exploit of you the consumer and of every single other moron that powers the blockchain. But hey, at least you paid $900,000 for a nothing that says you own London. Cool. And then to make matters worse, you've got outlets like a VR workroom app called Spatial, basically now just becoming an NFT art platform.
Why not? It's easy money. Just hop on in and just take your art that you may or may not own, put on the platform, sell it, make fax stacks. And you know what's even better? What's even better about NFTs is how easily exploited it can be. Let's pretend I live in a world where I own $2 million in Ethereum. Actually, let's make it a more reasonable number. Let's say I have $200,000 of Ethereum. I go ahead and I make an NFT that is just me taking a picture of my watch on my... Let's actually just say I take a picture of my desk right here. Just take a camera, click. I have a picture of my desk. I post that up as an NFT. I sell that NFT to myself for every single point of Ethereum I have. I sell it for $200,000 to myself. I now have in the blockchain saying that the picture of my desk is worth $200,000 because a sale was made for $200,000 for a picture of my desk. But in the end, I have spent $0 because I paid myself the exact same amount of money. And because, you know, it's not a legal sale. It's not taxed at all. So I don't pay any money there. And I still have the NFT. Because, of course, I sold it to myself. There's no check for this sort of system in there at all. But then someone else goes, whoa, that NFT is worth 200K. What will you sell it for? Let's say I sell it for half. Let's say I sell it for 100K. For no effort... I sold a picture of nothing for a lot of money because the blockchain was dumb enough to think it was worth something. But again, please tell me more. Tell me more about how NFTs and crypto is the future. For the record, I do not own 200... Actually, I don't think I have any Ethereum right now. Let's actually quickly take a look what my crypto wallet is. I only put in $100 in crypto. Currently, I have $105.75 worth of cryptocurrency split between Bitcoin and Shiba. That's it. I actually own no Ethereum. Before we start threading rumors about how I have 200k. If I had 200k in Ethereum, guess what? I would have sold it. Because I could really use 200k right now. Let me tell you. These people slinging around thousands upon thousands of dollars in freaking cryptocurrency. That overnight can just drop in value. 
Tencent acquires Turtle Rock Studios. What does this mean? So for those who don't know, Turtle Rock Studios is the independent creator of Back for Blood, Evolve, and Left for Dead Empowered? I don't, that's probably not right. I don't know what Left for Dead Empowered is. But they have made Back for Blood. That's what they're most known for, which is a Left for Dead inspired game. And actually was looked at rather favorably. Tencent, for those who don't know, is a mobile gaming giant in China. Here's the thing, though, with gaming in China right now. You are greatly restricted right now in your ability to game in China. Like the government says, you cannot play online games at all during the week and you're restricted to like three hours during the entire weekend or something like that. It's not exactly that, but it's close. This is greatly hurting Tencent. Tencent, in order to survive, needs to start making moves to gaming outside of China. That is why I believe they have bought Turtle Rock Studios. This is their move to try to get more into the Western market. Keep an eye on this sort of thing. I'm willing to bet there's going to be more and more and more massive purchases by Tencent. And considering the fact that pretty much all Tencent is known for is making really bad, cruddy mobile games. This probably isn't good news for Back for Blood. And it's probably not going to be good news for any other game that is purchased for Tencent to continue surviving by choosing quantity over quality. We're going to take our last break here. When we come back, I have news in regards to new GPUs, Dell trying to get into the repairable market, and robots. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right. NVIDIA, to stick with the concept of no names matter at all, has announced three new mobile GPUs, the MX550, the MX570, and the RTX 2050. So, the RTX 2050. But there was no RTX 2050. What's the big deal with this RTX 2050? Well, here's the thing, right? The RTX 2000 series is powered by the GPU known as Turing. That's what powered the GTX 1600 series, and that's what powers the RTX 2000 series. The RTX 3000 series is powered by Ampere. 
you're starting to see this is going right the all three of these the mx 550 the mx 570 and the rtx 2050 are all ampere gpus every single one of them Okay, I get that the MX-550 and the MX-570 are Ampere, all right? The the MX series uses a different numbering scale. The fact that they're Ampere-powered, that makes some sense. Okay, yeah, I, I get that, I suppose. But why lie to me about the... It, it makes no sense. It's not like the HDMI protocol where there's something to gain by releasing an HDMI 2.1 product, but it's actually a 2.0 product. Here, you're calling it RTX 2050, but it's actually way better than an RTX 2050. It's closer to an RTX 3050 mobile. Because it basically is. I don't get you, NVIDIA. I just don't get you. Even when you don't use logic and name something stupidly or make a move that's dumb. There's at least some dots to connect here. There's just none, zip, zero, nada. Uh... But in any case, um, people are asking in the chat, half sarcastically, half seriously, what does it matter? Do these GPUs actually exist? Well, yes, because they're in laptops. So as long as you can find a laptop with them in, you can find them. It's not like the desktop GPUs where you have a 0% chance of getting them because miners want them to go ahead and power Bored Ape NFTs. It's very, very difficult for a cryptocurrency miner to justify buying a whole laptop just for the GPU because you have the power being wasted by the CPU, by the screen and everything else in the laptop to go ahead and mine. It's very difficult for them to justify that. So you actually do have a much, much, much better chance of getting these GPUs. It's just that they're, they're in a laptop. So, yay? It's just something to be aware of that this RTX 2050 is actually way better than you'd assume. In the meantime, Dell is... uh, Well, they're revealing some stuff early before CES. They're trying to get get ahead of the game here. They have announced what they're calling Concept Luna, a more repairable laptop. And let's be perfectly honest here for a second. It's copying framework. The framework laptop, for those who don't know, is a very modular laptop that you can very easily repair on the inside. All you need to repair a... 
framework laptop is basically a Phillips screwdriver. That's it. In a, in this Dell Luna concept laptop, it's constructed in a very similar fashion. Things are socketed on the motherboard except for the CPU because, well, the CPU is always soldered in nowadays, unfortunately. The battery is modular. The keyboard is just one piece, pops off very easily, and that sort of thing. You know what really ticks me off, though, about the Dell Concept Luna? Let me tell you about the Dell Latitude E6400. The Dell Latitude E6400 is an older laptop. It originally launched in 2008. This laptop was designed specifically for business users. And it was specifically designed for one purpose. For uptime. And you could spec this sucker out with a lot of different things. The CPU was socketed. You could get that sucker up to a, um, I think it was a 2.4 gigahertz core two quad at the time, which wasn't the best uh, quad core CPU out there, but it was one of the best. You could get it with a mid range NVIDIA Quadro GPU if you needed to use it for mild video editing. It had a removable battery. The CD-ROM drive could be popped out without a screwdriver at all and swapped out for an additional storage unit or for an additional battery. To get inside, you only needed to remove one screw and the screw was captive and the entire bottom plate would come off. The RAM was socketed. The actual AC adapter jack was on its own separate daughter board. So if someone messed with the power jack, which was a much bigger problem back in the olden days, still an issue nowadays, but less so now. But if that went bad, you pop out the old one. It's just attached by one cable. And, you know, about five minutes later, you're back in action again. The whole thing could be disassembled by someone who knows what they're doing in 20 minutes. The first time I had to disassemble one for repair when I was still refurbishing computers, it took me 35 minutes. And all I needed was one Phillips head screwdriver. Even the screen was only in four parts. The back piece, the LCD, the camera module... And then the bezel. That's it. And it was connected to the rest of the motherboard by one cable. The actual camera module connected to the screen. The palm rest was two pieces. The palm rest with the trackpad. And then the keyboard slotted into the palm rest itself and was screwed down by four screws. The entire palm rest connected via one cable to the rest of the motherboard. And it wasn't even a and one of those obnoxious ribbon cables. The keyboard actually slotted in like it was a cartridge. It was a brilliantly designed laptop. And unfortunately, 
as time progressed and people started accepting that Apple's way was the best way, Dell moved away from that repairable design. So for them to come back and try to win back guys like me who absolutely praised them for these amazing laptops you could very easily service repair and get someone who went ahead and wrecked their laptop back up and running in five minutes and say, look, we can do repairable. I'd ask, why did you stop? You had a good thing going, Dell. I gave you so much credit for the Alienware Area 51M. Another laptop with the same sort of concept being easily service repairable and upgradable by the user. Why is it gone, Dell? If you care so much about repairability that you're willing to copy framework, why did you stop? Because you were doing framework laptops before framework was a thought. If you expect people like me to go ahead and look at you and give you all the credit in the world for do for copying framework, then I hate to dig up old wounds, but I got to ask, you could have been framework before framework. You were framework before framework. I still use a Dell Precision at work. Because it will, because it was an easily serviceable machine. And I love that sucker. But you've gone away from it. And what's even more insulting to me. What's even more insulting to me is one thing that someone just mentioned in the chat. And I was working my way up to it, I swear. I I'm not just copying the guy in the, who said it in the chat. Because as I said, you were framework before framework. And now you're showing off this concept and you're planning to put it in, into action in the year 2030? You hurt me, Dell. This physically hurts. Because you can do better. You've done better. You could have, you did, in fact, beat everyone to the punch. Long before everyone started pr praising framework. But the only reason you're going back is because you see a lot of people talk about framework. I'm willing to call you out, Dell. Because I've seen you do better. I've seen you sell the parts. Someone in the chat says the way framework's doing it is that they make more money on the repairability because they go ahead and sell the parts. Dell does sell the parts themselves, too. 
Dell has always sold the parts. I can still get, I actually don't think I can get parts for the E6400. I'm pretty sure they stopped making parts for a 14-year-old laptop or a 13-year-old laptop. Close to 14-year-old laptop now. But the Precision M, what do I have? A 4700, I think. I can still get parts for it. I, if the battery dies, I can still get the battery from Dell. If the daughter board for the head, for the, uh, not the headphone jack, for the uh, power adapter dies, I can go get one from Dell. If the motherboard dies, I can go get one. If the GPU dies, I can go get one from Dell. I can't get the CPU because that's soldered on the board now. Thanks, Intel. But yeah, you could have done better. You could have been doing this for a very, very long time. But you chose not to. So while everyone else is praising Dell because they swear these, they'll go ahead and make a more sustainable laptop in nine years. I'm willing to call out Dell. In other things from Dell that make me slightly less angry. Actually, this doesn't make me angry at all. This is actually pretty cool. Dell has a Concept Perry, which is a webcam that mounts in the middle of the screen. The concept of this is that as you're making eye contact, with whoever you're viewing in your Zoom call that you're mandated to go to, you can make eye contact with that person and it will portray it correctly. I'm actually okay with this. It's a silly concept, but in a world where not everyone is used to various concepts of... uh, video conferencing and that sort of thing. I'd say they can go a long sort of way. Like myself as a streamer and a podcaster, I know when I'm reading the screen, I am not looking directly at the audience. I know when I look directly at the camera, now you see me making direct eye contact with you. That's when I can go ahead and do like a deadpan sort of stare, like a thousand mile sort of thing. And that's going to portray with you correctly but just doing things normally it doesn't i'm going to be looking slightly off so i think this is pretty cool neat concept it'll be interesting to see if it takes off now with all that said we're gonna have to actually actually no there is one thing i'm going to talk about before going to last burb And that is the PlayStation 5's first ever console covers. And they are galaxy-themed. So your PS5, it has two detachable plates on either side. And now they sell these plates, which, by the way, were originally black. They're now available in black, pink, Purple, cyan, and 
red. In addition, you can get controllers now in purple, pink, and blue. I did say the original ones were, were white, correct? The original ones were white. And that was actually one thing that was very controversial about the PS5 because the white stood out like a sore thumb and everyone assumed over time those white plates are going to look awful. But wait, removable plates, I've heard about this, right? You have. A company that makes sarcasm and skins for electronic devices called Dbrand made a set of dark plates not too long ago. These dark plates were black side panels for the PS5. They just removed the old white ones and attached these black ones. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But Sony sued Dbrand saying that they were infringing on their copyright. Now, Dbrand argued that no, they didn't, since they didn't copy the design exactly. It is just very similar. But apparently that didn't. But, you know, Sony didn't really care. And this is clearly why. Because they had their own coming down the road. Yeah, D-Brand's not too thrilled about this. And actually, before Sony even announced this, D-Brand did make a revision to the dark plates to get rid of the shop, the sharp pop color look and kind of smoothed out the edges and also added an air intake vent right where the squirrel cage blower for the PS5 is positioned. I'm honestly still kind of torn as to whose looks better. Someone in the chat thinks that uh, D brands. I don't know if they mentioned if they mean the first version or the second version looks better. But this kind of does make uh, Sony look kind of uh, uh, petty. And let's be perfectly honest the 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 Japanese copyright law is very very odd in the way it's structured and sony's clearly trying to use it here to pretty much just force any kind of competition out and since japanese copyright law i don't know the specifics but apparently it is very favorable to the copyright holder that well fighting against it for d brand is going to be very very difficult at this time, Sony has not tried to sue D-Brand for the version 2. But, you know. I think it's going to be only a matter of time. Someone in chat, chat sa says, I'm honestly get getting a D-Brand Dark Plate 2.0, and I still can't get a hold of a PS5. <laughs> There is that element too. Personally, what I I think I would also get the D brand uh, 2.0 dark plates, just because modern game consoles really are more and more like a PC, where 
do need to be worried about things like dust maintenance. Right next to me, I have a PS2 and a Super Nintendo. Neither one of them, I realistically have to worry about maintenance. The PS2 had some work done on its disk drive just because of the optical laser. The fan on it barely spins because the PS2 barely puts out any heat. And the Super Nintendo, um, yeah, it's passively cooled and the whole thing is enclosed. No air goes into the PS2 or the, the, the Super Nintendo. That thing, as long as you keep giving it clean power, that sucker is going to run literally forever. Unless something terrible happens to it. A PlayStation 5, however, it generates enough heat on its own that it has to be cooled with liquid metal. That blower in there is going to move a significant amount of air, which means enough dust is going to get clogged in there that it can affect thermals and eventually kill the device. I would personally go with the Dark Blades 2.0 just because more airflow is more better. I would also recommend if you do have a PS5, once a month, um, pop off your covers and take a look at those heat fins. Take care of any dust buildup. Maintain it like you would maintain your computer. Someone in chat also points out it would be more quiet. Yes. Absolutely. But enough of speaking logically. Let's instead talk about the last verb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. Hyundai has built a robot that can carry your baby and your booze. It is a wheeled robot that can that will adjust its wheels to be able to go up slopes and inclines, which are the same thing, and adjust where its wheels are positioned so that the platform is always level. So yes, the robot, which will most likely debut at CES and has been talked about currently by Hyundai, um, could theoretically carry a baby. I I have a question. Who would do this? It's a cool concept and all, but the fact that the pitch is it can carry your baby and a stack of alcohol just makes me kind of go but why who exactly is the target audience for your glasses carrying robot baby but kind of once again Someone in the chat pretty much nailed it on the head. You know what it tells us? That CES actually is truly 
and honestly back. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast. The Early Burb Briefing airs every single morning at 2 a.m. But, of course, it's a podcast. You can listen to it whenever you wake up. A nice way to start the day, four minutes. And check out my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon, where we record these live. Take care. Nopley, I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Now look, the 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 baby carrying robot and all, that's that's okay and all. But let's be perfectly honest. It's not truly CES until it's a drone. Like who cares? It's just it's just a little robot with wheels and whatever. That's nothing. That's literally literally nothing. Now, if it was a quadcopter and a drone, now now we got something.